Up to one in four women will have a termination of pregnancy in their lifetime. So it's highly likely you know someone that has gone through it. The position of women who might be trying to hide a pregnancy in a violent situation, waiting to seek that care. And that really reminded me of how that timeliness of care is so critical. Hello and welcome to Ducks on the Pond. Kirsten Diprose here and Jackie Elliott. Hello, some pretty powerful stuff there, Kirsten. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful episode, to be honest, because we just don't talk about abortion often and certainly not like this, at least in the mainstream media. And we've kind of been inspired, well, not inspired, but rather concerned about what's happening in America. Some states there have actually removed access to abortion. I think they're up to 14 now, in fact. And while that's not happening in Australia, access to abortion for rural women is still a significant issue. So in this episode, we'll dig into what actually happens in an abortion, so both medical and surgical. And I have to say, Jackie, I really didn't know much about that at all. And we ask, is it harder to terminate a pregnancy in rural Australia? So let's put that question to Shannon Hill, a sexual health advisor at Women's Health Grampians. It is more difficult in rural and regional Victoria, and it's very slow to make change. For early medical abortion in particular, we can see the the spread across the state of patients seeking services is quite even. So whether you're in a metro or rural setting, that the demand for early medical abortion is is quite even. But then once we look at it by prescriber, so the, the doctor that you can see to seek that service, you start to see the gaps. So out of All of Victoria, we can see 11 rural and regional local government areas have no access to early medical abortion, and seven of those belong in my region, which is the Grampians region. So I have 11 local government areas and seven of them don't have a provider of early medical abortion. So that's one where we were hoping we could improve access to services in rural and regional areas by the delivery of early medical abortion through a GP. And we can see by this data, we've still got quite some way to go to get improvements in that area. Can you get access to early medical abortion through a pharmacist? You need a pharmacist as part of the service delivery. So the GP will help you with the script and the pharmacist will then provide you with the medication. So you do need both. And we can see that in the data and quite often We'll see if there's no provider, then there's often no pharmacy. So that that relationship tends to happen when the new service is set up in an area. So why is there no provider? Is it that there's no doctor in the area or just no doctor that is willing to do early medical abortion or, or at least, you know, not that they're conducting it, but prescribe it? From my experience, in the most part, there's no doctor because people haven't taken up that service, so they might not see it as part of their their role or their scope of practice, or they might think, even in Ballarat, that someone else is doing that, so I don't need to. So really, this data has been a great incentive to, to show that there's a great opportunity to share the provision of this service more widely and reduce the need for women to travel because ultimately we can see where women are seeking services and where there is no service provision. It's clear that women must be travelling to seek this service. So, Kirsten, doctors are allowed to say they don't want to do abortions, right? Yeah, they can conscientiously object. But if a patient comes to them requesting an abortion, they have a legal requirement to refer them on. So you must 
let the patient know that that you hold that objection and that you are going to make a referral to the appropriate doctor or, or service. And that needs to be a timely referral. So in the case of abortion, your gestation, how many weeks pregnant you are might, might determine what type of abortion is available to you. So you can imagine in a rural setting, often getting a GP appointment is tricky. So we're always a little bit nervous about those delays that can happen as women go to seek care. Yeah, you've got the delay of getting the right care and then also the potential of having to travel for care as well, which can make it harder. Absolutely. And and do you have access to a car or do you have children that might need childcare while you're out of town? Or do you need to have someone go with you if you're you're seeking a service that needs a, an anaesthetic or sedation? How does it work with abortion in terms of the, the timing? So can you explain what early medical abortion is and, and how long you can get that? And then I believe it's it's the surgical abortion. Can you explain that? So up to nine weeks of pregnancy, nine weeks gestation, you can take the medication early medical abortion. And that is something that you can take. So the GP will prescribe it to you. You can pick that up at the pharmacy and you will take that home. So after nine weeks, the option is surgical abortion. And that depends on where you're going. So typically you might see between nine and 12 weeks might be available in your region, say somewhere like Ballarat. And then over 12 weeks, you might find that you do need to travel to Melbourne if you're in a rural and regional area. I'm thinking this is where the greatest disadvantage is for rural women. Yeah. In the space of a few weeks, things can become a lot more complicated for a woman seeking an abortion. And there's just not those services in the country. I guess the hope was that, that the introduction of early medical abortion was trying to bridge those gaps and put it into towns where perhaps, you know, there isn't that major hospital service. It hasn't quite had that effect, but we're still, as a sector, working to to look at ways that we can bridge those gaps. So super important, particularly for rural and regional areas, to think about where do we travel and what support is in place for people who need to travel for those types of services? Interestingly, I think it's in the Northern Territory, they, they offer transport services. So, so every state and territory does it a little bit differently. Do you have to see a doctor face-to-face or can you make use of telehealth? Telehealth, absolutely. So I feel that it's become more common and accepted Obviously, during COVID, a lot of our our healthcare switched online and so became more acceptable to people in terms of that timing for early medical abortion to try and make sure that you can get a speedy access to an appointment and the the right person that is trained to do that. It's also important that we've got the relationships on the ground so that the pharmacy is is able to stock that medication and, and get that to you in a timely way. So in a rural area, you might not have a doctor that will prescribe early medical abortion or a pharmacy that stocks the medication. It's a bit of a double whammy, especially when you have that time pressure. Yeah, the difference between a medical abortion and a surgical abortion is huge. Well, let's bring in Anna Barwick. She's a pharmacist based near Walker in New South Wales. You might remember her from a few episodes ago when we spoke to her about periods and pelvic floors. Well, we've brought her back to explain the process of EMA or early medical abortion. 
So it's using medications to terminate a pregnancy. So there is a product that's available in Australia and you can find out more about that by talking to a pharmacist or to a GP, but it actually includes two ingredients that help to basically remove the lining of a uterus where a pregnancy is occurring but is unwanted or maybe dangerous. So with the medical termination of pregnancy, there is no judgment in that. It doesn't matter what your reason is for wanting an abortion. If you need it, it is healthcare. And that is absolutely critical for everyone to know. We can offer medical termination of pregnancy and you can get that medication from your pharmacist after you've had a consult with a registered and qualified GP. So they actually have to be registered to write that prescription. And then the pharmacist also needs to be registered to hand that out to you. So basically what happens with medical termination of pregnancy is you take the first tablet and that that basically stops the blood flow to the growing fetus. And this can only happen up until nine weeks after your first menstrual period. So it's not a lot of time. It's 63 days. And overseas, there's moves to actually extend that out and make that a bit longer because a lot of women don't even realize they're pregnant in that early stage. And once you go past that, unfortunately, in Australia, after that nine weeks, surgical termination is the only option for you. But as I said, there may be many reasons to have a medical termination. And a lot of women, when they take that first tablet, they start to get a bit of cramping, not unlike period pain. And they will often potentially start to bleed within a few hours of taking that. But more generally, what happens is they need to take the second ingredient. So that usually happens a day or two after the first tablet. And it's one that dissolves in the mouth and it actually helps to expel the contents of the uterus. So it it really, the the pregnancy is expelled much like a period, uh, slightly heavier. You may see uh, more blood clots than you would normally with a normal period. But generally, that bleeding will continue, they say on average, between about 10 and 16 days. So slightly longer than a normal period because they usually are between five to seven days. So probably closer to double that. And the biggest thing can be, you know, that pain that because it's cramping, because your uterus is contracting and removing the contents. The biggest thing with medical termination of pregnancy is you must be within a few hours of an emergency department because one of the Uh, uncommon but serious side effects of medical termination of pregnancy is excessively heavy bleeding and you do need to go to an ED department if that is the case, or you can actually have retained pregnancy. And so those retained products in the pregnancy, so even if you get the cramping and bleeding, you might think, okay, it looks like everything has gone. You'll still need to go and have a follow-up with your GP, with the prescriber to have an ultrasound just to make sure that the pregnancy has been removed because some of those retained products can result in infection and that can be very severe for the person with the uterus. So we always recommend women are, or, you know, people are close to care that they have someone at home assisting them and monitoring them and providing, you know, hot water bottles, you know, laying down, resting. So, you know, within those first few days of taking those tablets, really important to have some time off from work. So often women will still go to work after taking that first tablet. They don't notice, you know, that, that kind of cramping pain will build a bit later, but generally after that second, you know, the second component of the medical term, 
they'll often just need to stay home because that pain will probably be there for at least a couple of days and they then may need to, or they may be able to return to their normal duties after that. But obviously it can be a really um, anxiety-ridden time. So it's really important that women get that care and support and no judgment from everyone around them. You know, I've never heard the medical process of how early medical abortion works. It really dispels a myth. You sometimes hear that you just take a pill and get on with it. Yeah, like there are physical side effects, but most of all, it's the emotional trauma and the judgment that can go along with it. And I think the isolation could be horrific in that situation if you live in a rural area. You know, the more people talk about it, the better. And we know that up to one in four women will have a termination of pregnancy in their lifetime. So it's highly likely you know someone that have got has gone through it. And as I said, it might be have been a medical termination or a surgical termination. But either way, you know, that person needs lots of care and support and time because they may grieve, even if it was something that was unwanted for them or, you know, had been the result of something that was very traumatic. So again, you know, getting support from a psychologist can help a lot as well. And really, you know, instructing or being involved with your healthcare team is really important. And there's another really good site that I'd highly recommend to listeners. So it's called Mari Stopes International or MSI Australia. And it talks all about abortion, how to access them, what GPs are actually registered to provide the medication. And you can also check with your local pharmacy if there is a pharmacist registered there, because unfortunately it doesn't follow the pharmacy, it follows the pharmacist. So I'm one of the, you know, I'm a dispenser and I know how to provide that advice to women but you may need to find that particularly in an isolated community. But the more health professionals that have this as an option, the better. If you're ever unsure, perfect time to call us at Farm Online. We can find someone who is local to you and get that support. But as I said, the biggest things are managing the side effects, being close to care in case there is particularly heavy bleeding, and then having that follow-up two weeks after you've taken the medication just to make sure everything's okay. And again, there's no issue with having a medical abortion multiple times Again, there are women that do that. But I think part of, you know, the conversation that you want to have with your health professionals at that time is going, is this, am I using the best contraceptive option for me or should I be switching at this point? Just so that you're not anxious, you're not having to worry about going through the process and the cost of an abortion, which can be quite expensive. Fortunately, medical termination is not anywhere near as expensive as surgical. And in most states and territories, you can actually have that medication administered at home so where you're comfortable rather than in a facility unlike a surgical abortion. The fact that no one really talks about abortion means none of us really know what's involved. Yeah, unless you suddenly find yourself in that situation. I remember a friend of mine actually did have the medical abortion. However, it didn't work. So then she did have to travel down to Melbourne to get further assistance. And so that sort of stretched out over weeks and weeks, like it took a long, long time for her to recover. That's so stressful. And going through that process, obviously, the longer it takes, you're concerned about it having to become a surgical abortion. But just psychologically, having to go through it and not being able to terminate the pregnancy when you want to, I think must be so difficult. She was actually on her own. And I I didn't learn about it until probably 12 months after it had happened. But I do wish she had have told me and I, you know, maybe could have been there for her more in in that time. Well, that's it. We just, we don't even tell our friends that it's happening. Yeah, exactly. You know, as I see it, there are two main issues here. So one, the shame and the judgment, which means that it just doesn't get discussed enough. 
and then two, abortion is still not really being treated as a health issue. And that's even though abortion has been decriminalised now in all states and territories of Australia. So South Australia was the final one. It decriminalised abortion in 2021. And New South Wales actually only did it in 2019. Now, just to be clear, of course, abortions were still happening before decriminalisation, but abortion used to be under the criminal code rather than under health policy where it is now. Which is good to know, but those changes really didn't happen that long ago. Shannon says we need to normalise abortion as just one of the many women's health options. So just like contraception and emergency contraception, unplanned pregnancies do happen. And so this is this is just one of a suite of options that you might need to access. Unfortunately, I, I feel that there's a, still a reluctance. So we did a study in 2017 that had a finding of a high rate of conscientious objection with, with doctors against abortion. So there was definitely a sense that that Perhaps I don't want to be a part of this this type of care, and I would prefer to refer on. So there's a there's a sense that I don't want to be known as the doctor that provides the abortion. I don't want to tell my friends. I don't want to tell my family. So there's definitely still a privacy or a shame or a stigma associated with seeking this type of care. How do you think it can change in terms of the way that it's treated in society, like making it on equal footing as as other health issues, which it just doesn't really seem to be. It's in this weird, murky place where it's completely legal, but there's something a little bit secretive or underhand about it still. Absolutely. And sometimes we wonder if how the conscientious objection laws are structured kind of play into that because I can opt out or I can choose not to be part of that care. So ideally we would like to see a directive into public hospitals and and state-funded services that this care is a part of the suite of services that is offered. So really we want to see it normalised through public health settings as a full offering. So whether that's long-acting contraception or abortion, that someone can seek care for all of those things in one place through public health and that that can be normalised is super important. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because people have personal religious beliefs and doctors like anyone, you know, that might actually go against their religion. And it's interesting. There's all, I guess, every combination and scenario. So some doctors are okay about doing that provision. So so really every health practitioner will make up their mind and their and their position on, on how they will manage that. And so just because you're religious doesn't mean that you won't be a provider. So we get a mix of those things happening. And, and in the most part, we were really pleased that our finding in our research said, even if I had an objection, I was happy to refer on. So we didn't have evidence perhaps of people blocking the service. You know, if it's just part of the suite that's offered at state-run hospitals, then it almost takes any personal responsibility away. Like you're just doing your job as a health practitioner. Could have could have that effect. Yes. It's interesting in the most part when I'm working with providers in rural and regional towns, it's often one person that will be the champion and the advocate and they will drive others to make this change. And it's always harder for a disadvantaged woman, rural or not, to access abortion. So you can imagine... 
if I have access to a car and to money and I'm okay to drive myself to Melbourne and I've got a job that I can take some leave if I need to. So you can kind of turn it around and say all of a sudden I you know I'm on I'm on shift work and I need that that money to pay that next bill and I've got children and I don't have any family in town to help me with care if I'm going out of town for a surgical abortion. I might be an international student and I'm on a visa and I'm worried that if I if I continue with my pregnancy that I won't be able to keep my student visa. I don't know if my international cover, my health cover, will cover something like abortion. So as soon as you get extra things, like I don't have Medicare, I don't have transport, I don't have family or friends or support network around me, perhaps I don't speak the language. Navigating the health system is not easy, even if we have all of those basic things in place. So you can see that that it adds to the stress or the pressure. In the case of family violence, uh, I was recently at the Children by Choice conference and I was reminded of a position of women who might be trying to hide a pregnancy in a violent situation, waiting to seek that care. And that really reminded me of how that timeliness of care is so critical. Yeah, there are so many different scenarios that are stressful enough without, yeah, having to add in the distance, the not being able to access care. Watching what's happening in the United States at the moment, what are your feelings with states actually repealing access to abortion? Devastated. Uh, The best thing that I can say is here in Australia, I've seen the sector band together. There's a real willingness and and a fight in us. To, to, to really fight for the access that we do have and to keep what, what is positive about the provision that we can provide. So going from feeling quite upset that, that such a significant legal challenge could happen, but to feel really positive about the sector and the people that we work with here that will ensure that we keep the access that we need. The US is obviously a different country, different setup politically, and I think religion plays a greater role in in their society perhaps than than ours. Not that it's all about religion. It's just an example that that can happen, that the advances in women's rights can suddenly be turned around. And it's a bit of a shock because we like to think about progression, but it can go backwards. Yes. I was at a conference where Marilyn Beaumont was the keynote speaker and she said, I clearly remember her saying, never take it for granted. The rights that you have now will always be. And so I've always had that in the back of my mind and that very much came forward in that moment. Just thinking back to when abortion was decriminalised in Victoria, which I think was 2008 from memory, I was a reporter working in Bendigo then And I remember it so well because things got really nasty. The local member at the time was was sent some really disgusting sort of material. How do you push forward in this space as an advocate when you can get really difficult reactions from people, like really, and sometimes nasty reactions? We often find that people are really worried about backlash. It's one of the reasons for not taking up service. We've been quite lucky in that we haven't seen a lot of backlash towards people providing new services. So 
It does happen. Things like the safe access zones, the 150 metres away from a clinic, things like that have made a big difference to the feeling of safety and security. But advocates working at that high state level, particularly around law reform time, do have to take into consideration that kind of backlash that may happen. But in the most part, I feel like there's a, there's a willingness, there's an acceptance. We focus on the positive. And that's it for another episode of Ducks on the Pond. Thank you to our guests, Shannon Hill from Women's Health Grampians and Anna Barwick, pharmacist and founder of Farm Online. And thank you for listening. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode or suggest a collaboration, then send us a DM or email us. All the information is at the bottom of the show notes. We'll catch you next time.